Welcome to the Consultants Council podcast, a place for consulting industry guidance and best practice advisory. Whether you're working to grow in your consulting career, you're managing and developing a consulting firm, you're working with consultants, or you're just interested in business and high performance advice, we've got recommendations and education for you. I'm Kelsey Kreveling, founder and CEO of Kelsey Consulting, a firm focused on building high-performing organizations, teams, and individuals through a variety of ventures, including the Consultants Council. I've spent my career at the intersection of technology and management consulting, working with organizations across the country to help solve their toughest challenges, while also supporting the growth and development of multiple consulting firms, helping them improve their long-term performance trajectory. In addition, I serve as a startup investor and advisor, promoting the ideas of entrepreneurs as they work to gain traction in their industry. With so many people gearing up to launch their own businesses and establish their own consulting practices, I want to make available the advice and lessons I've learned along the way. This podcast is made possible by Kelsey Consulting with media support by Class Act Media. For more information, check out our site at theconsultantscouncil.com and kelsey.consulting. That's K-E-L-S-C dot consulting. And now, stay tuned for this episode's counseling because the consulting world is full of nuances and the answer is always, it depends. What's possible? Do more. Good evening and cheers. It's time for this consultant to have a cocktail. Uh, and if you are also ready to have things to celebrate with regard to your career, uh, you're in the right place. Uh, the Consultants Council is founded on the premise of providing guidance and best practice advisory support for those in the consulting industry. And this evening, uh, I will be counseling on how best to accelerate your career performance and to improve your long-term trajectory. So with that, uh, I'm Kelsey Kremling, founder of Kelsey Consulting, a firm focused on developing and cultivating high-performing organizations, teams, and individuals. And with a career in the consulting industry, I've seen firsthand what works well uh, and what doesn't. And who is it that actually really is able to excel and do well? And what are those traits that actually set them apart from others? Uh, I've been able to counsel and advise and mentor individuals from those starting out in their consulting careers, right from college all the way through the C-suite uh, executive ranks. And it's really interesting uh, the traits that that make a profound difference. Some of them might be things that you you already know, um, that you're familiar with, and others might be things that you don't think necessarily are important, um, but yet when you see, you know, why is it that someone else might be just doing so well? Uh, and you're wondering what else could you be doing? So stay tuned. Uh, we're gonna just be chatting about what are those traits and what are those best practices and what can you be focusing on in order to get the career growth that you're you're looking for and to to be where it is that you you want to be so stay tuned all right so first up in the kind of traits or key mindsets to focus on when looking to get ahead and to do well in your career uh, first and foremost you have to believe in yourself and in your abilities even if you're just starting out, uh, you know, you were hired to join a firm for a reason. Um, you know, even if you don't have any industry knowledge or experience yet, you still 
you know, you were hired for a reason, you are intelligent, you know how to be on time, you know how to show up and work hard, you know how to research and to ask intelligent questions, and you have basic skill sets and traits that you can use effectively. Um, and when you believe in yourself and you believe that you're in the right place for the right reason, and you believe that you have value to be able to impart on the organization that you're working on and that you can make a difference and that, you know, while you're learning, you also can contribute and add value. That just sets a really positive stage for how your um, coworkers, colleagues, clients are going to interact with you, how they're going to perceive you, um, because you're not going to be projecting a self-image of doubt. Instead, you're going to be showing up with charisma and confidence um, that is much easier to work with. Uh, you know, people like working with those that are confident in how they're interacting and presenting themselves um, and how, you know, they are establishing that credibility that they have, even if it, it it's not that you have the industry knowledge, it's, hey, you know what? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a new analyst and, you know, I'm learning and I can maybe not have all the answers for you right up front, but I can all certainly go research and find out what they are and be able to provide the support necessary to move forward. So I'd say first and foremost, across every job, every industry, no matter what it is, no matter what it is that you're tackling, it could be work or personal life too, um, believing in yourself and believing that you have abilities to be successful will just go a very long way. Um, I do a leadership workshop where I teach executives how to recognize what is currently holding them back and limiting them from their actual potential. Um, and we start that off with the premise of what's possible. And through exercises, et cetera, they get around to the realization and recognition that the answer is everything, anything, everything is possible. Um, and so as a result, I want you to really think about the fact that you are capable, you can do anything depending upon what you choose to put your time, energy, and resources, attention, focus into. And so deciding what that's gonna be for you and then believing in yourself to achieve it, that is the ultimate number one rule for success in your career, in your future, in your accomplishments. All right, I'm gonna share another tip that I think has really personally helped me a lot. Um, I used to battle a lot of anxiety and fear around what my future was gonna hold and what opportunities were gonna to come to fruition and where I was gonna be and what was gonna happen. And um, early on in my career, when I was freaking out about all of that, you know, worried about losing my job and not doing enough and worried that it just, it was all gonna fall apart. Um, my mom asked me, you know, Kelsey, what's the worst thing that can happen. What happens if you do get fired? And I worked through that and I was like, gosh, well, okay, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd have to leave my job. I'd have to leave Madison. I'd probably move back to Texas where I was from. You know, I kind of worked it out. I was like, well, I could get another job. I have a, you know, 
a background of being, you know, employable and, and capable, I can find something. And when I worked through the worst case scenario, I realized, okay, that's not that bad. And that's also not likely going to happen. We have to stop ourselves from going down the rabbit hole of worst case scenarios. I always like to be prepared and to be aware of what the worst case scenario could be. I mean, I'm the kind of person that like, I know where all the exits are in a building when I walk in and I like to scout out, you know, where I'm going to sit based on making sure I have a perspective of what, you know, my vantage and viewpoints are. Um, you know, I like to know what potential outcomes are so that I, you know, have a situation and engagement and interaction, relationship, et cetera. So I know how to be prepared when those occur. But once you've thought through those, you've got them out of your head and you're not allowing them to fester. You've come up with a potential solution, what you would do in the event that that does occur. And then you're going back to point number two of, you know, you're going to trust that things are working out and that they're happening for you, not to you. So if something bad does happen actually in your best interest because you're going to learn something from it and maybe it's going to tee you up for something better in the future. So I really like that exercise when we're feeling frantic and out of control and we're scared. Thinking about the worst case scenario actually can be really calming because now you've been methodical. You've created a solution even if you never need to execute upon it. That preparedness can do really great things for calming your anxieties. So like preparedness does a great job of calming anxieties. Uh, that brings us to our next point, which is prepare, always be prepared, even over prepare. Now I'm not saying become obsessive with being ready. There's certainly a certain point where you recognize this is diminishing returns. I, I don't need to, to go to these lengths, but especially early on in your career when everything is new, when you're overwhelmed, when you're consuming so much new information and knowledge and you're kind of bombarded from all directions with so many things that just are frankly overwhelming. Taking the time to be methodical and to be prepared and to do the research and to be well organized just goes a long way to assuaging uh, the anxiety uh, that one feels early on in your career or any time that you're experiencing something that's beyond your current comfort level. Um, usually when we can break things down, um, get really clear on the specifics, uh, be very organized and methodical with what it is that we're preparing for, whether it be, you know, a really critical client presentation where we're delivering you know, background or recommendations on an assessment that we conducted or we're making, you know, a, a recommendation for a whole change management strategy or we're recommending that, you know, implement a new product or we're, we're presenting the final findings from, you know, uh, a long-term engagement, whatever it is. Being really well prepared, knowing your material inside and out, being ready to field and answer any questions. Um, and that goes back to that worst case scenario preparation of, gosh, if my client asks me this, how am I going to respond? If my client doesn't like this, how am I going to react? If my, 
you know, managing director partner tells me this presentation at the last minute is garbage and we have to redo it at 2 a.m. How am I going to handle that? What am I going to do? Um, you know, that can be avoided a lot by preparing in advance of that discussion so that, you know, you're not waiting to the last minute to have it reviewed and to, to put yourself in the, those shoes of terror. Um, but yeah, uh, you can really reduce the stress load in consulting by preparing ahead of time and making sure that you're not waiting to last minute. Um, because that's when everything just gets really chaotic and when you're already tired and operating on that much sleep and then your stress hormones get going, it becomes so much harder to respond rationally and to conduct yourself maturely and to handle the stress of a situation or a client reacting in a way that you didn't anticipate well. And you want to avoid that. And you can avoid that the best way possible by being prepared. So if preparation helps us handle stress better, and if we're handling stress better, then we're ultimately a lot calmer. What does that do for us? Well, I've counseled a lot of people on this through the years uh, because people love to, you know, people get passionate and people get excited and people get stressed and people get angry and frustrated. And all of that takes us away from our calm, centered, rational ability to conduct interactions in a meaningful and objective way. The leader is the calmest person in the room. And when you are in consulting and you are interacting with clients and you're working to lead them through recommendations and changes and new processes, new approaches and ways of doing things that might be uncomfortable for them, for you, et cetera, um, being calm about the challenges, the problems, the situations that you're facing is what construes confidence, strength, leadership. I'm not saying be like a puddle of just flatline calmness. No, you have to be objective and rational and interactive. You can't, you know, be interacting with clients like you've had a lobotomy. But you also can't be the person that is flying off the handle and being really passionate and excitable either because that is not going to convey the message you're trying to relay at all. You relay the insights by being able to project, present them objectively, being able to not get into the fray, being able to remain objective at an arm's length distance from the conflict that will serve you very well when you're dealing with tough clients, challenging situations, difficult personalities, things that seem unfair, things that don't go your way. The ability to remain calm and to think through your response before maybe you just respond, right? Makes a huge difference. How many times have you gotten a nasty gram email? You just wanna fire off a response. Or maybe it wasn't even nasty. Maybe it was just something that you didn't like or you don't appreciate or whatever. You want to respond, you know, in turn, tersely. What if you just waited five minutes, 
an hour, collected yourself, took a walk around the block, do some jumping jacks if you don't have time for a walk, push-ups, deep breathing, box, deep breathing. Wow, that would reset your nervous system and allow you to respond objectively in a way that allows you to get to the resolution you're looking for. Or what if someone's horrible to you in a meeting, to your face? Taking time for strategic pauses to collect your thoughts, to control your breath, to acknowledge your frustration while also allowing you time to compose a response that is considerate, taking the time to put yourself into their shoes and to understand their perspective asking them questions about why maybe it is that they're reacting that way. Always be respectful, always be considerate, always operate from a place of kindness and a, a desire to seek to understand. When you do that, it becomes very easy to be the calmest person in the room to not feed off your own stress hormones or others, to continue to keep your wits about you, as they say. That will go a tremendously long way towards launching you into the C-suite and beyond, right? Because the executive ranks of an organization need people who can remain calm under pressure, need people who can remain objective and rational and make positive decisions that aren't just based in a, just an immediate reaction. They might be operating very intuitively, but it's not just an immediate fly off the handle type of response. That will make a profound difference for you as you're looking to accelerate your career growth remaining calm. So in addition to being calm, um, kind of touched on this just briefly, remaining positive and not complaining will make such an incredible difference, not only in your career growth, but also just in your life. Um, operating from a place of gratitude and even joy will just make profound changes in how you yourself operate. So, you know, dealing with tough clients or challenging situations while in the immediate situation feels terrible, it's not fun, um, is teaching you great lessons in how to adjust your approach moving forward in how to maybe be better prepared and how to react differently and how to work to remedy situations even before they become an issue because you've now become that much more alert and aware to things that could become a problem. It's all training. And so being positive as you go through the tough stuff makes a difference. Now I'm not talking about coming from a place of like toxic positivity where we're just refusing to acknowledge any of our other emotions and we just wanna be happy. Believe me, I've been there, that was me as a kid. I was happy, 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 happy and had no other emotions. Um, but instead operating from a position of, 
I am choosing to be positive. I am choosing to see the good. I acknowledge the bad. I acknowledge the things I don't like, but I am choosing to see what's possible. And I am choosing to see that there is goodness even amidst the bad. And as a result of that, I'm not complaining. Try not to complain for 24 hours. Have you heard that before? Well, change your life. Don't complain about anything. And I mean anything. That's tough for me. I complain about the weather a lot. I'm really bummed right now. We've been having a lot of smoke from wildfires and it's making it difficult to be outside. And I recognize when I start getting on a tangent of being a bit more negative, that then propels all my thoughts that way. I get frustrated by all the little things. But when I'm just operating from a place of gratitude and positivity, I'm not actually complaining. I'm choosing to see the good. That snowballs and everything gets better. What we focus on becomes our reality. We choose to see the bad. We choose to see the cup half empty instead of half full. Look how much we've left, gosh. Still plenty of whiskey, see? That just, I mean, they've, they've proven it chemically changes how our brains function. You can go do your own research on that if you're interested. Um, but that operating from a place of positivity and gratitude with a lack of complaining, your colleagues will notice. Your colleagues will notice that you're not in on the water cooler chat being grumpy, finding things to kind of bitch and moan about. And instead just saying, okay, yeah, let's do it. Let's figure it out. Let's fix this. Yeah, we didn't like that outcome. Okay, how are we gonna resolve that? Okay, that client's not happy with us. How are we fixing that? Okay, we need to make this happen differently. How are we dealing with that? Okay, so-and-so left our team, they quit. Okay, what are we gonna do to fix it? Instead of bemoaning all the new work that you're taking, right? And there's so many things that we can complain about every day. There's also so many things to be grateful for. Focus on the good. Focus on what is possible, not what's not possible. All right, so we've talked about being calm, being positive, not complaining. What about the actual interactions that you have with your clients and with others in the organization that you work for, your vendor partners, etc.? You know, diplomacy is not only beneficial in politics. It's incredibly beneficial in the workplace. And actually there's a reason why we talk about the politics of our clients. It's one of the top questions I ask my client leadership teams when I'm going in to do assessments is, you know, are there any political sensitivities that I need to be aware of from a dynamics perspective? You know, any interpersonal strife challenges? How is your team interacting? Um, anything to be aware of that might, might be a barrier. As a result, the ability to not only be calm, but to really objectively think through your words, to consider the meaning that they have, and to consider how you are going to respond to the interactions at hand, that will make you incredibly capable at navigating challenging interactions. When you think through other people's 
perspectives, when you put yourself in their shoes, when you consider what's important to them, what do they maybe struggle with, what's gonna affect them based on decisions that are maybe being made. And then you operate objectively from a sensitivity of, I just wanna make things better for my client and I want to understand everyone's perspective so that I can help them navigate a path forward. Wow. That diplomacy, both at our clients and our internal relationships with our colleagues, makes a huge difference. It makes navigating the chessboard that is a consulting firm far easier because you're building great relationships. You're just doing a good job. You're operating positively. Yeah, that's really hard to ignore when it comes time for promotions and opportunities. The scratching you're hearing in the background is uh, my dear office mate and friend, River, my dog. He stays mostly quiet, but sometimes he, he makes himself known. All right, now, early on we talked about believing in yourself and in your abilities. In addition to that, I wanna make sure that you don't sell yourself short. Don't turn down opportunities just because it sounds hard or because it's gonna make you, you know, maybe you have to take on a little bit of extra work or because you haven't done it before. It's the only way you're gonna learn. You're only going to learn when you are taking on new things. You don't learn by doing the same thing over and over and over again, right? Like, you know the people you've worked with that say, oh my gosh, I have 20 years of experience. I'm so tenured. And it's been 20 years of the same year of experience over and over and over again. That's not 20 years of experience. That's one year of experience doing it 20 times. Versus the person who has worked with a lot of different organizations, maybe different industries, different challenges, unique engagements, difficult problems to solve, people to work with. Well, gosh, 20 years of doing that. And now you've got 20 years of experience or even more, right? We used to joke um, at my first company that I worked for, we, we worked 90 hour weeks or more, like we worked so much. And everyone would like to act like we were so young and immature and we didn't have much work experience. But in reality, you know, if you're only working 40 hours a week and we're working more than double that, we have like three years of experience, we had six or more, right? So um, it is not about the number of years. It is about what you fit into those years. And that doesn't always mean working more hours. It also means learning how to be more efficient with your time. How can you fit more in to less time? What are the inefficiencies that you can cut out, that you can outsource, that you can learn to not prioritize because they're not what works well? What are the things that you're doing right now within your day that you have control over? I recognize that, especially early on, we don't always have a ton of control, but that are not well suited to that time of day. You know, finding when you're most productive, when you're least productive, and when it doesn't make sense to like try and do tough brain work because maybe you need some uninterrupted time or, you know, you're trying to do transactional stuff when you're actually at peak function. 
learning how to observe that about yourself and to take that into account when you book your day, when you plan out your week, when you figure out how you're gonna organize your time, you will learn that you can get so much more done in less time. I found, I mean, I can give me two designated hours of like uninterrupted time where I'm operating really well, I'm you know, caffeinated and feel good and had a good night's sleep and haven't consumed anything negative. Wow, oh my gosh, I can get so much done so quickly. Whereas if I'm dragging and tired, that's when I do the menial work that is not taxing on my creativity. Or that's when I say, you know what, I'm gonna go take a nap because I'm just not getting anything done. And I have the luxury now at this point in my career that I have some leeway and latitude over my time. Don't sell yourself short. Take on more than you think you potentially can and parlay those experiences and opportunities into your next engagement. Don't sell yourself short. All right, so in addition to not selling yourself short on opportunities, turning things down just because you haven't done it before, um, on the flip side of that, don't wait for anyone to give you opportunities because you'll be waiting a long time. Go after it. If there's a specific knowledge area or skill you want to develop or engagement type that you're interested in, don't wait for it to come to you. Go after the people that are in that area and put yourself out there. Let them know that you want to be considered. Find out if there's, you know, a, a work group that specializes in that area that you can be a part of. Find out if there's, you know, proposals they're working on from a sales perspective that you can help and support. Find out if they're doing any activities, events, writing knowledge articles, etc. Like if you have an interest in an area, go after it. I early on in my career was very tired of long engagements, long implementation engagements. Like you're on a project for nine months, a year plus, oh my gosh, like and you're working with one client and like it's all consuming. I recognized that I really wanted to have more exposure to work with more clients, to, to see more ways of doing things. And so I remember talking with my boss at the time about that and about like, how can I get into more rapid type of implementations? I've heard that there are other implementation methodologies that my organization I work for was deploying. And so I went after it. And as a result, I initially like got staffed on a project that was a faster project that I had to figure out how to you know, implement the whole software product in a specific way in like three months instead of nine months to a year. Um, it was rapid and I really enjoyed it. And as a result of that, I then got added to a task force um, focused on that methodology that was even faster, um, more streamlined, and that paved the way for massive future career growth because I developed a knowledge and skill set in a specific area that very few people had that then I was able to parlay into a new opportunity at a new consulting firm where I was going to create a whole service offering around that area of skill and parlay that into other opportunities and engagements and, and ways of doing things. Cause now I'd created a strategic service offering and I knew how to do that. And so I could help other organizations. How do they create strategic service offerings? I mean, that 
one time I spoke up to my boss, I can look back on and say, putting myself out there and saying that was what I was interested in, well, that really opened up a lot of doors and opportunities. So if there's something that is nagging at you in a good way, right? That you're interested in, that you want to explore, that you want to learn about, go make it happen. Go put yourself out there. Go let it be known. Because you don't know where that will go. You don't know how that will propel your career forward and what opportunities that will make available to you in the future because you now have cultivated and developed a skill set in a specific area. It's pretty neat. So don't wait for anyone to give you opportunities. Go after them. So consulting is very different from working as a full-time employee um, within industry uh, at an organization. And I think one of the primary reasons for that is because you have to basically be justifying your value and your bill rate every hour of the day, especially when you're on an hourly engagement and not like a fixed fee type of engagement, but still you have to be justifying your value. Are you worth it? So as a result, you need to make sure that everything from the way you speak to the way you conduct yourself, to your presence, to your preparation, to your insights, to your relationships, your interactions, the way you dress, and the way you basically develop your own personal brand is critical to the bill rate you can charge. And of course that is when you're working for a firm, you know, subject to what the firm's gonna to bill you out at, but still you have to now be just, you're, you're the advocate for that company. You're on the ground. You're the face of that company. Even if you're not actually in person right now, because many of us aren't traveling as much to our client sites, you're still the representative. You're still having to showcase your value. You're still having to render great support. So making sure that you are approving your rate is really critical in consulting and in doing well in that industry. And so doing all that you can to make sure that you have built the best personal brand for yourself that represents you well, that's priceless. So that brings us to a great point around building your personal brand. Uh, being very mindful of how you are perceived within your organization that you work for and then within your clients is critical. Making sure you like how you are, excuse me, presenting yourself, um, how you're interacting, what you are known for, um, really goes a very long way towards making sure that you are memorable for the right reasons. Um, hopefully this goes without saying these days, but social media is forever now. Um, so if, if you have any concerns around what it is that you might be posting, make sure your accounts are private and you're not friends with your colleagues or your clients. You know, I think it's also really important to remember that when you're interacting with your clients, they are clients, they're not necessarily your friends. You might be friendly with them, 
but keeping an arm's length distance relationship with them where you know you're not necessarily sharing all the details of your life story is wise especially in the early stages of getting to know individuals that you were working with until you really know them be mindful of how you interact you don't want to give any doubt to senior leadership uh, at the firm you work for or at your clients as to your capability or your professionalism. All right, so we're gonna get more into some of the kind of the execution considerations uh, when it comes to your engagements and the work that you're doing. Um, I think first up on that front, really learning to be solutions oriented. It's critical. Do not go to your managers, leaders, or clients with problems. I'm not saying don't escalate. Obviously, certainly you should be learning how to escalate appropriately as needed. But only once you've already considered potential solutions or options for them to move forward with, you do not wanna be seen as someone who just brings problems to the table because honestly, that just comes across as almost complaining. Um, you know, a, a problem with a, a proposed solution really is just is just a, an issue um, and a complaint for your leadership now to have to come up with ways to solve. And that's frustrating when they're strapped for time and bandwidth um, that they now have to, to go figure out answers. Even if they don't go with the solutions that you propose, you don't want to come to the table empty-handed. So, always be solutions-oriented. In addition, I think it's really critical to take ownership. Um, it doesn't matter what level you are operating at. Take ownership for the work that you do. Take ownership for the potential lapses in the quality of the work that you do. You know, if there's a problem, own it. Recognize it. Say, you know what? This happened. This was not a desired outcome. And here's what we're working on as a solution to fix it. You know, figure out how you can be responsible. Don't be the person that eschews responsibility, that eschews taking, you know, like, hey, standing up for, for what occurred. No one's gonna give you more responsibility if they don't think that you're someone that takes any. They're not gonna put more on your plate. They think you're out there blaming everyone else or finding fault or throwing other people on the bus. It doesn't look good. Especially to mature leaders. They can see right through it. Take responsibility, own it. All right, I wish I didn't have to give this piece of advice, but I've seen it too often. Um, take it seriously. Take your job seriously. Take the work that you were doing seriously. Take the opportunities that you have in front of you seriously. I'm not saying to be serious and like stilted, but I am saying to give it your best because I've seen so many individuals coming out of college or even coming out of industry into consulting and not taking an opportunity seriously and thinking that they can kind of coast by, um, thinking that just, you know, innate natural intelligence will, will do the job for them. That is not the case in the real world. There's certainly things that, you know, might not take as much time and preparation as others to be successful with, 
And that comes with skill and knowledge and experience when you know like what you need to put more time and energy into to be prepared versus things that like I've done this before, it doesn't need as much for me. But when you're just getting started, you have to take it all seriously. You have to put in the work. You have to put in the effort. Because if you don't, natural intelligence is not gonna create your presentations for you. Natural intelligence isn't gonna do the research for you. Natural intelligence isn't going to just like allow you to get the right answers on a test. That is not how consulting works, unfortunately. It takes time, it takes preparation, it takes hard work. So take it seriously. All right, so let's talk about priority. Recognizing and learning how to prioritize is a really important skill to learn in the workplace. Um, just because something is a high priority to you does not mean it's a high priority to everyone else. On the flip side, if something is a high priority to your client, it needs to be a high priority to you. Um, and if for some reason it really isn't something that should be a high priority for them, helping them diplomatically understand, you know, hey, we're fixing this, we're working through this, you know, we've actually got some other things that we think are, are more critical at this juncture because of X, Y, and Z. You know, helping learn to set reset priorities, critical, great, great skill to learn. Learning how to evaluate the true importance and impact of the issues you are dealing with and their ramifications for the work that you're delivering um, or the budgets that you're managing or the people that you're interacting with is just a really important skill um, that will, it'll take you a little bit of time to, to parse out um, especially as you're new and you may not have had exposure to the certain thinking patterns and the things that maybe are really, really important. But when you learn how to think about an issue and then take a few steps back and kind of like raise your perspective on it to say like, okay, this might be happening here, but who does this impact? Does this impact budget? Does this have legal implications? Is this something that I'm gonna to need to tell the CEO of the organization and they're gonna to have to weigh in on it? Or is this something that's just like a nuisance that we can deal with middle management on and like work through? Or is this something that's just like an interpersonal challenge that doesn't have wide ranging implications? Or is this something that's actually like really like embedded in the culture of the organization that is gonna make it very difficult for us to implement change? Well, actually that's gonna be a higher priority issue that we're gonna have to start tackling much sooner and come up with like a whole approach of how we're going to kind of like reprogram how people function like there are there's a lot of intricacy there in terms of how to evaluate priority of issues and challenges but I generally like to think about them in terms of what's the the highest level in the organization that's going to have to become aware of this who does it impact what does it impact? Are there legal implications? Are there financial implications? Are there governance or change management, like communication considerations? You know, who's affected? And also what's the timeline on the incident or observation or challenge? Those are the criteria that I like to look at quickly, right? I mean, I'm, I'm factoring all those things in as, as things are coming in. Um, but that's how I really look to evaluate priority to determine like the urgency of something. You know, if something's not urgent, okay. 
Whereas if something's like really critical, I might be directly, you know, text messaging with my client about it. Like, hey, I need to give you a heads up on this. Like, do you have time to, to chat? Or if it's kind of lower party, I might be texting them because to be clear, text message is my current client's preferred method of communication uh, during a busy work day. Hey, just want you to be aware of this. Heads up. No action needed. Just be aware. Or is it something that's like really critical and we need to bring people together? Prioritization and learning how to do it effectively. Learning what issues your clients kind of want to be made aware of and how they like to, to interact, to intervene and to communicate. What are their preferred channels? Uh, that'll go a really long way and helping make sure you're not escalating things unnecessarily, but also not um, inadvertently not handling things that need to be resolved. I've seen a lot of, of newer individuals think that something's not a problem, so they don't bring it up. And as a result, you know what happens to problems when they're not dealt with? It's so much bigger it becomes so much more of an issue. It becomes that much harder to resolve. So learning to prioritize, figuring that out early on will go a really long way for you. All right, so earlier on we talked about confidence and being confident um, and how that can make a, a big difference for you in the workplace. But I, I do think it's really so important to learn the difference and not just learn the difference, but embody the difference um, of confidence versus arrogance. Confidence is the innate trust and knowledge in your abilities and in your value. Arrogance is actually founded in a deep sense of a lack of self-worth and a lack of self-knowledge and a desire to overcompensate for it. Now, I know someone who, who would disagree with me on that definition. Um, she defines uh, arrogance as a positive good thing, but it's the ability to just be confident enough to go into something that you've never done before and to do it. She believes that that is arrogance. Um, she also wrote a book on fear and I think she's fabulous, Kristen Ulmer, she wrote The Art of Fear. Uh, she taught a really fabulous ski camp. She's fabulous and is a, was one of the, like the first women's ultra extreme skiers, right? Like pioneer jumping off cliffs and stuff. So she's incredible. But um, I respectfully disagree on the difference between confidence and arrogance. I think that confidence can be exhibited in a really healthy manner. Um, where you just have an innate confidence in your ability to do things, even if you maybe haven't done them before. Whereas I firmly believe that arrogance actually is, it comes from a sense of self lacking and self dislike and insecurity. And as a result, it is an ego driven expression of overexertion of your skills. Um, and um, that doesn't resonate well with others. Being confident in your skills and in your abilities and being able to show up and have presence and, and trusting in your knowledge. That's awesome. And that is necessary to be good in consulting. Being arrogant and overcompensating when you actually don't feel like you have confidence or abilities.
all that does is just rub people the wrong way. Learn the difference, learn how to embody the difference, learn how to hold yourself accountable when there's things that you maybe are being arrogant about that, you know, it's, it's coming from a, uh, a place of self mistrust or distrust, figure out ways, what can you do to avoid that, get around that, overcome that. How can you reassure yourself of your abilities? Cause as we talked about earlier, everything is possible. You're capable of so much more than you even realize. So figuring that out so that you can operate from a place of confidence instead of arrogance. That will serve you well. All right, so now that you've hopefully learned and are embodying the difference between confidence and arrogance, um, it's also really important to learn when you don't know everything, which you don't, no one can. You have certain skills and abilities, as does everyone else. Um, knowing when it makes sense to bring in others outside expertise, you know, even within your own firm or outside of your firm, right? Learning what your limitations are and learning how to engage others and benefit from their knowledge and their awareness, that will go a long way from a consulting perspective. You know, we, we expect our clients to bring in outside counsel for resolving challenges and issues that they have. Well, we need to be prepared to do the same thing. We need to know when to bring in expertise to help us. I don't for a second presume to know everything that I need to know to, for example, operate my business or to, you know, make all the right decisions related to like legal decisions or to tax decisions or to marketing support, et cetera, right? Like, no, I outsource that. Oh, bless you, bud. That was a dog sneeze. I bring in expertise. Bless you, bud. Give me a third. I sneeze in threes, so. Uh, but yeah, learning how to bring in others to augment your skill sets. That can really help you in the consulting landscape and space. Um, can help you upsell opportunities, help you land opportunities to begin with. And it can really help open doors for you as you're accelerating your career because guess what? Someone you might've worked with before in another division, another department, another firm might say, hey, you know what? I now need your skill in this area. I need you to come help me in this capability. Can't tell you how many people I've worked with in the past that I've brought onto projects to help with my engagements. Now I've come to ask me to help them on their engagements or with their firms, etc. Building your trusted network of knowledgeable partners and colleagues go a long way. We talked about this a little bit, but I want to really emphasize it. Always remember that you are the consultant. You are not the client employee. Don't ever get too comfortable. You have to remain objective and consultative. That's why they hire you. They hire you as an outside expert who can come in and impart knowledge and advisory capabilities. And if you are now so comfortable that you're just a part of the organization, you are not gonna remain objective. You are not gonna be able to affect change. You're not gonna be able to provide trusted counsel. So don't get too comfortable. Don't get too close. Remain objective. Remember that you are the consultant.
and if for some reason you're feeling like, gosh, I miss being in industry or I want to be in industry and I just want to be a full-time employee, then just make that transition, make that exit. All right, I wish this went without saying, um, but unfortunately, you know, some things have to be said. All my recommendations and advice here comes from real world experience, so you can put two and two together. Uh, please wear pants to work or any type of covering, right? Professional, appropriate attire. Uh, what I mean by that is just operate great professional judgment at every juncture. You know, before you do something, say something, act in a certain way, respond in a certain way. Think about how it's going to be perceived. Think about how it might cause others to view the personal brand that you're working to cultivate. Does it convey what you're trying to convey or not? Exercise great judgment because while that might not create great career trajectory for you, it also won't just completely sideline your future. Because I've seen it happen. One bad judgment call, and you can be out. You can be fired. And the industry is really small. Consulting, much like our seven degrees to Kevin Bacon, right? Is that the saying? It's just a very small industry and everyone kind of knows everyone. It's not that hard to find out who your connections are now with LinkedIn. Exercise great professional judgment. That also means don't burn bridges. I know people like say that, you know, well, the, the bridges I burn will light the way forward. That's just what people say when they've acted really terribly and they're trying not to acknowledge their poor behavior or their bad decision-making, right? Because if you're operating from a position of kindness, consideration, working to do the right thing and do your best, you're working really hard not to burn, intentionally burn bridges. Now, again, anything can happen, but your intent is not negative. People will remember how you made them feel. People will remember how you acted and how you conducted yourself. People remember if you were kind and considerate years, years into the future. And one misstep, one unkind conversation, one cut down, one gruff response, one really bad decision, that can haunt you. You don't want that. You don't want that to be the reason you don't get a job in the future. Someone remembers something that you did, sad, how you made them feel. You know, there's always a saying of like someone, you know, was in a job and they were in a lower level job. And then, you know, in the future, like, oh, what is that? It's high school. Yeah, that's what it is. Like, oh, you know, the jocks in high school and the kid that was on the debate team or something, they're mean to them. And now that kid runs the company, right? Like you're kind of mean to work for me. Well, you never know how tables can turn. So it's all about how you operate, how you conduct yourself. What mindset do you want to operate from? I'm a big fan of operating from a mindset of kindness, consideration, working to understand the other party. Because when you do that, that really helps alleviate miscommunications, insensitivities, and acting in a way that doesn't make people enjoy interacting with you. As you grow in your career and you start to manage others, you want to make sure that in the future, you're the manager that they liked working with, that they learned from, that they respected, 
that they'd work with again. You don't want to be the horrible boss that they hate, dread their work day. They go home and cry. They quit. On the flip side, hey clients, you don't want to be that person either that makes your consultants like lives miserable, right? I know there's some in, in the industry who like to beat up on the consultants. Gosh, who hurt you? Why do you want to do that? When you operate from a perspective of trusting that, you know, everyone's just doing their best. Their best might not be the right fit for this job. Okay, great. We can coach people. We can mentor them. We can help them identify if it's not the right fit for them. Help them, you know, find another role, position, et cetera, that might be better. But when you operate from the mindset that everyone's doing their best, they just have a different perspective. They just have a different way of doing things. They just have other things that have happened in their lives that are informing the way that they behave. You'll start to see that it's not about you, the way people respond to you. You won't take things personally and you'll build way better relationships. Your clients will wanna work with you. Your clients will respect you. Your colleagues will wanna interact with you and work with you and promote you and be led by you. Don't burn bridges and be kind and empathetic and considerate. Those traits, especially as you accelerate in your career and you move up, will serve you very well. All right, so we're, we're coming close to the end on advice and, and recommendations, but there's a couple other key things I want you to keep in mind um, as you're building your career and, and you're improving. Um, you know, constantly be working to improve your position. That doesn't necessarily mean like your exact like role within the organization, but it does mean improving your standing or your, your positioning, who, you know, who are you connected with? Who do you know? What do you know? What have you done to continue to further your knowledge? How are you continuing to look for opportunities to grow and to improve your basis of understanding? Um, constantly just improving that as your baseline, that will make a difference. Start where you are, use what you have at your current disposal that you have available to you, and use that to parlay into additional knowledge, awareness, understanding, and eventually opportunities. You know, we talked about not waiting for opportunities to come to us. This parlays into that. This is tied into that. This is not waiting for, for things to come to you, but for looking for ways that you can take charge, take accountability of your situation, of your standing, and use it too. In addition to that, I'd say one thing that will help you with that is keep learning. Don't ever assume that you know everything. You don't. I mean, we talked about bringing in experts to assist with, with our knowledge and our awareness. But recognize that you can learn something from everyone you meet. That everyone you interact with knows something far more than you do. That they have a skill that you don't have. They have a knowledge area that you don't possess. That they are better at something than you are. And see what it is that you can learn from them. I think what goes hand in hand with that and also with the don't burning bridges and operating from a, a kind, empathetic position is to remember that we are not better than anyone else. But 
we are better at things than other people. I learned that at a enrichment camp I went to in like third grade or something, some summer classes um, I took. It was really neat class, course, etc. Um, but they kind of drilled that into our head. And while I'm a really big fan of eschewing all of our old programming, because I think a lot of it is coercive and wrong and keeps us living smaller lives than we're supposed to. I do think that that is a wise statement. We're not better than other people, but we are better at things than other, other people. You know, and it might be that we're better at being compassionate. It might be that we're better at being kind. It might be that we're, you know, better at a specific sport, better at research, better at public speaking, whatever it is, doesn't matter. But just because you're better at things than someone else, doesn't make you better than them. Especially because, as we've learned, anything's possible. We can do all things. We just have limited time. So it's all about what do we individually choose to take accountability for and elect to develop. What do we put our time, energy, and resources into making a priority? We've learned about prioritization. What do we prioritize in our own lives? What do we choose to consume? Are we choosing positive, practicing gratitude, or are you choosing the negative? We're not better than, we are better at. What are you going to start getting better at? The whole realm of possibilities of things that we can get better at. So if you're focusing on getting better, improving, constantly improving your position, constantly learning, growing, experiencing, taking on new opportunities, think kind of the last piece of advice to leave you with is knowing when you're growing and knowing when it's time to make a change. I think the days of staying with one organization are, are behind us. You know, I think that's becoming just increasingly rare. And I think the reason for that is because people are wanting to evolve. They're wanting to grow. They're wanting to improve. And, and one company doesn't allow you to necessarily do that on the timeline or in the way that you want to. You know, the impressions that we make upon people early on in our career, even if you're, you're doing your best, might not represent who you are in the future. So do you really want the rest of your career to be limited by what those people you worked with when you were just out of school to think, you know, is that gonna, is that gonna hinder your future advancement? It might not, or it might. The ability to recognize when a job or a position is no longer for you, when it's no longer advancing your knowledge, your skills, your expertise, it's no longer challenging you, it's gotten too easy, it's no longer providing what it is that you need from your job, knowing how to make a change, it's really important. It's also important to recognize what is it that you're trying to get out of your job. A job doesn't have to necessarily be everything, you know? I mean, for some, it's just a means to an end of, hey, I want to pay the bills and I've got other interests I want to cultivate and develop. And this does that for me and I don't need it to offer anything else. I'm not looking for it to, to be the way that I grow in my knowledge and my experiences and in my, you know, 
trajectory. Maybe I'm doing that in a very different way. It's just paying my bills and it's enabled me time to, to do and pursue the things that I love. Awesome. Good for you. Knowing how to know, knowing how to have that self-awareness. Great. On the flip side though, if you are looking for your job to offer and provide for you that career growth and that opportunity and that exposure and experience, knowing how to recognize when you're no longer getting that, knowing how to be aware of the environment and the culture that you're, you're a part of and, and, and identifying if it's, if it's no longer speaking to you and what it is that you're trying to do and achieve and, and be, that will make a profound difference in your trajectory because staying too long in a position that is no longer for you is hindering you from all the opportunity that's out there. I started out my career in a job out of school. It was not suited for me. It was not the right fit. That was me great. I realized after day two that it was not going to be a good fit. It was misrepresented in the recruiting process. I mean, today there was still some of the toughest interviews I think I've ever been through. Um, it was in retail, which I was really excited about. I love clothing as evidenced by the consultant's closet. But ultimately it did not provide the type of stimulation and opportunity that I was searching for. After six weeks, I said, this is just, this isn't it. This is, I'm, I'm going crazy. This is not a good fit. This is not going to be my future. This is not going to offer the future I want. And so I made the difficult decision to leave when I didn't have anything else lined up. And that was in 2008 when the market was awful. And at the time I couldn't even get an interview at my dad's company where two years before they'd recruited from my school and they told me I'd have a job waiting for me when I graduated and they were just wanted me. Couldn't get an interview. No one was hiring, especially in Houston. No one was hiring. And I still said, you know what? This is not the right fit. I've got some money saved. I had the luxury at the time of being able to, you know, stay with family, figure things out, interview, find something else. But being able to think critically around what is a job offering to you? Is it meeting your most basic needs? Is it enriching? Is it going to provide the opportunity, the engagement, the excitement, the intrigue, the development, the interactions and network that you're looking for? If it's not, start considering why. Start looking at what it is that you want to be doing. Go through the exercise of writing down what it is that you want, what's most important to you, what do you want in who it is that you work for? What type of work do you wanna be doing? How do you wanna spend your time? How do you wanna design your day? Craft that, put that in writing. That'll make it so much easier when you have opportunities knocking, when you're looking and interviewing and you're evaluating opportunities to decide if it fits what it is that you're looking for and it meets what it is that you want. Knowing how to leave an organization when it's no longer working for you, it's no longer serving what it is that you're trying to do and how you're trying to advance will keep you from staying in a job for way too long 
and missing out on all the potential opportunity that exists for you. So with that, cheers to your career growth, to all the opportunity that is ahead of you. I wish you much success and fulfillment in your career and, and what you choose to take on, how you choose to, to interact with clients and to the value that you're gonna bring to the world with the problems that you solve. I'm excited for you. I look forward to hearing about all your successes. And that's a wrap on this episode of the Consultants Council. Thank you so much for your interest and engagement. Let us know what you'd like to learn more about by writing in to info at theconsultantscouncil.com. Thanks to Kelsey Consulting for sponsoring this podcast and to Class Act Media for the media support. And with that, cheers and all my best. Have a great week. And remember, what's possible? Do more.